I'm Ashley Keenan and you're listening to Every Mum, the podcast, now in its 10th season and supported by Water Wipes, the number one baby wipe in Ireland, made with simply two ingredients and nothing else. When I had my daughter, I wanted something I could trust to use on her skin and Water Wipes were and still are the one. I once made the mistake of trying a different brand. Never again. I didn't realise just how much of a difference there could be between two fairly similar brands, but it was huge. My daughter is now two, and I still panic if I don't have at least one pack of water wipes within line of sight. With that in mind, I'm happy to say this season is supported by that most essential of products for every mum, water wipes. Winners of seven National Parenting Product Awards 2022, including Best Baby Wipes, they are ideal for delicate newborn skin. Together, we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products and this podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Every Mum, the podcast. I'm Ashley Keenan. I'm your host, and I'm so delighted to be here again. This episode, we spoke to Sabrina Hill. Now, some of you might know Sabrina from social media. She is an influencer. Some of you might know her from the kind of world of hair. She owns a salon in Cork and she does lots of hair education and things. But if you've been following her on social media, you will know that throughout her pregnancy, she has been suffering with debilitating hyperemesis and also migraines. She's been so, so ill, God bless her. She says herself in the episode that she did not enjoy being pregnant at all. Since we recorded the episode, Sabrina has actually delivered safely a beautiful baby boy. She called him Robin. So congratulations, Sabrina. I'm so, so happy for you. And I'm so delighted that you're not pregnant anymore. And any mom who has had hyperemesis will understand what I say when I say I'm so glad you're not pregnant anymore because it is just such a relief, such a weight lifted off your shoulders. So during the episode, we talk about the stigma around feeling like you should enjoy pregnancy when plenty of us don't. We also talk about the medication Caraban, which treats hyperemesis, which is very difficult to obtain. And Sabrina has kind of taken the Caraban issue on as a cause. And she says she won't stop fighting for it until it becomes readily available at a price that's fair to the majority of pregnant women, which I just think is so like I was left after the episode feeling in awe of her strength because in spite of being so ill, she still took this on as a cause and she's still, you know, it's it's she's very active in it and she's very uh, focused and hyper aware of what needs to be done uh, for this kind of caravan issue to be resolved. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. It was a pleasure to speak to Sabrina and let me know what you think on social media. Our handles will be in the show notes. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me today on Every Month, the podcast. It's such a joy to be chatting to you. And I have to say, I've been following your whole pregnancy journey on Instagram, as thousands and thousands and thousands of people have. And it's been a roller coaster. Oh, it really has. It's like totally it really different has. to what I thought it would be. I had a very, mm. very different vision of literally pregnancy yoga, me flowing through the wind, delighted, <laughs> enjoying myself. And, and do you know what? I, I found this hard to admit at the start of the pregnancy and even midway through the pregnancy. It, I, I have not enjoyed it at all. Yeah. I have yeah. not enjoyed any part of the pregnancy. And I think accepting that 
has made it easier coming towards the end and knowing that I have like a date that is kind of like, you know, I'm getting there now and getting towards the end. Mm. It's, it has been a journey and a half. So I like one of the main things I really, really want to talk to you about today is paraben, the hyperemesis drug. And I want like, I there's so much to go into about that and your kind of campaign around that. But just for anyone who's not familiar, who anyone might not be following your pregnancy journey, give us a bit of your background. So you already have a child. You have a son who's, is Aaron 21? 21 years of age. People still kind of go, so that's a big gap that's a that's a big gap between kids I was actually his age giving birth to him so there's actually a 21 year gap between all of us and I had him 21 years ago and I did have hyperemesis it's very clear to me now I had hyperemesis which is a condition in pregnancy where you were very sick you're aware of it yourself um Mm -hmm. and I had that but it was undiagnosed I think back then it, there really wasn't much known about it. Things have come a long way with regards to diagnosis of this condition. Um, maybe not as good as what it should be, but it was definitely, I, I, I was very, very unwell when I had Aaron. So fast forward 21 years and I met my partner, my now partner, Dean, two years ago. And we decided that we would try for a baby. And I already knew that I ha- was going to have issues um, regards conceiving naturally due to endometriosis and many many different operations that I have so we went down the route of IVF very very lucky and very successful on our first attempt this baba um which I'm pregnant with now we're, we're very very lucky but from eight weeks um onwards I have had a journey of complete and utter terrible sickness which has surpassed how bad it was in my first pregnancy it, it mm. is definitely much much worse and on your first pregnancy, just to throw back, like you obviously you were younger um, and you, like it was your first time being pregnant. Did you kind of just assume this is just what happens when you're pregnant? Like, did you understand the seriousness of the illness that you had at the time? Or did you just think this is just what pregnancy must feel like? I presumed that this is what pregnancy must feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also like to point out that I think that the doctors and any of the medical professionals around that time were kind of saying, oh, well, this is morning sickness. Um, it didn't. I did get a little bit of relief going into my kind of once I passed 25 weeks in my first pregnancy. Um, and I definitely didn't have the complications that I have had in this pregnancy. I suffer from migraine. I wasn't able to take my migraine medication during pregnancy. And I had severe migraines. All of this pregnancy, which in turn triggered the hyperemesis quite a lot. Um, and in turn, then that triggered a lot of bowel issues. Um, I've had compacted bowel as well during this pregnancy. And they're all interlinked and, and they all triggered each other. So as bad as it was back then, I think when you're 21 years of age, you're so much younger as well. Um, you're a lot fitter and you're, you're more able, I feel. I mean, like there's definitely I don't remember the same level of tiredness. I don't. Um, and, and I suppose my life is busier now. I run multiple businesses and, and I'm quite busy as well. But it definitely, I feel, is a lot worse this time. And it's something that when I have done that little bit of research that like it seems to be in your second and third pregnancies, it can be the situation where you are much worse with your hyperemesis on the is next. And, I, and I, that's scary. That's yeah, scary. That would put anyone off. Like I, because we've talked before about how I, like I was extremely unwell through my whole pregnancy. I was on carbon from week seven until the day I gave birth at 38 and a half weeks. 
And I was, I remember being in the hospital uh, the night before I had my, I had a, a planned cesarean because I actually ended up having uh, preeclampsia as well. And the night before, uh, the night before the section, I had to not drink, you know, when you're having surgery, you have to not drink or eat for 12 hours. And so this is seven o'clock in the evening and I was due for surgery at nine o'clock the next day. And I remember saying to the nurse, how am I going to take my caravan? And she said, oh, sure, you won't need it. You'll be fine. And I, I was like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm sweating. Yeah. I'm sweating for you right now. Even though I I was giving birth the next day, I was still, I was so attached to that medication out of fear of just being so ill. And with the preeclampsia and with that, and I also had gestational diabetes, I'm like you, I did not like pregnancy at all. I found that incredibly difficult to admit to myself, first of all, and then to other people. Do you feel the same way? Like, there's almost like an expectation that if you're pregnant, you have to be you should be grateful and delighted and well and happy with it and you know just feel lucky all the time and like you said be floating around going to prenatal yoga classes and it just all I wanted to do was get through every day do you feel did you ever feel like a bit of a guilt or a bit of a shame around that massively at the start because especially with this being an IVF baby and and wanted so so much there was a huge amount of that however there's another side to this Uh, I'm a very vocal person I communicate a lot and I was very open and honest on my Instagram platform and I feel that that alone invited so many other women to open up the conversation about how they too feel like that and it wasn't even just like literally women who let who suffered from hyperemesis or carbon I think this is a huge thing with women in general like there's a lot of women who don't enjoy being pregnant and have that pressure and that guilt and the only way out of that is discussing it and talking about it and definitely I feel that from when I was very open about that and what I said guys this is so crap this is horrendous. It feels awful. I'm not enjoying it. Then so many women reached out to me and made me feel, okay, this is normal. And actually, mm-hmm. I was very lucky. And I know not all women are in the same position. My um, my obstetrician, my consultant was amazing. He was just like, it's awful. So many women <laughs> sit in front of me saying this. And, 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 and I think it got normalized. Like, mm-hmm. And one thing that really stands out is that one woman messaged me. I'll never forget this. And she said to me, but Sabrina, you wanted a baby. You didn't want to be pregnant. You wanted a baby. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, and and, that's and true. it actually went, oh my God, that is so true. I didn't want, and I'm just going to say it straight out. I didn't want at the start, right? I love a and d And I actually was like thinking at the start, how will I cope without having a lovely G&T at a weekend? And then, do you know what I mean? Like my yeah. normal life, the things that I do that make me, me and that I relax with. And of course that completely changed in the middle of the pregnancy then when I was like vomiting the whole yeah. time and wetting yeah, yeah. myself and everything. Yeah. But no woman actually really, if they had the choice, would want to go through pregnancy. Mm-hmm. There's a tiny minute kind of amount of women. The majority of women actually would want the baby, the end result, the beautiful baby. They don't want the labour. They won't have to go through the section. They want the end result. And once that was kind of said to me that way, I realised, oh yeah, that, that changed my mind frame. And I, I think mm. you're right. The guilt is very much attached, but we need to talk more about these things. And that's why things like your podcast are so important put out there 
so we have these conversations yeah like uh, genuinely the the concept of another pregnancy for me this is like I was only we were only talking about this the other day I was talking to my husband about it and we were like we're kind of on that whole thing of will we have another child or won't we we have one daughter at the moment she's almost two and we're like will we go for another one will we not go for another one and the the entire discussion we we would love another child Mm. it's not about the child it's about me having to go through illness during pregnancy whether that's preeclampsia whether it's hyperemesis whether it's whatever and don't you feel guilty about talk about nine months of your life don't you kind of feel like would you ever pull yourself together it's nine months out of your life until you're in the middle of it yeah until you're literally in the middle of it it's hell like I can't tell you the amount of times I'm sure I'm like 100% sure you've been the same the amount of times I, I like I spent more time in my bathroom and on the floor of my bedroom crying my eyes out during pregnancy than I did anywhere else like mm. you spend so much time in the bathroom, whether you're being sick, like you said, whether you're wetting yourself. Like I remember, and this is so, this just breaks down the idea that there's anything kind of glamorous about pregnancy when you're ill. I remember getting something to eat one day. One of the days, you know yourself where you kind of feel okay and you're thinking I'll have mm-hmm. something nice to eat. Had something nice to eat, got back in the car. I was driving myself home and I had to pull over and I simultaneously wet myself and vomited onto the ground onto the, the, yeah like and there was people walking by me and I'm and you know people were being really kind and asked me was I okay but I that like the indignity of that like I yeah. hated that I hated to have to be that person that I was so ashamed I felt so awful and you know everyone saw me and they oh she's pregnant you know it's just but like no I, I wasn't I was pregnant yeah but I was I was ill do you know oh and, very ill like it's not it's not it goes beyond oh she's just pregnant do you know and and this is the discussion we're having now because if I was to be pregnant again I have a toddler to look after now so how could I cope being that ill and trying to be a full-time parent and potentially trying to have a job at the same time like Mm -hmm. it just doesn't make any sense to me so like how have you coped with just in just in general how have you coped with running your businesses this is what I'm fascinated by how have you managed to keep your business going while also being this unwell I haven't and that's the honest truth I mean if I'm going to be really honest with you I haven't been in the salon a lot of the time um I have an amazing team there who've run it um I also have my online work that I do as an influencer I work in media yeah. Um, and I'm I and, and I'm going to be straight out and honest. I've lost thousands and thousands and thousands of euros in revenue, and I suppose in, in one way, like I'm extremely lucky that I'm self-employed in in one sense that I could I run I run very good businesses and that I could go back to that. Mm-hmm. But also, the amount of stress that that has brought on me. And the amount of decisions that I'm going to have to make in the future, let's say, regarding different things in my life, business-wise, um, it's going to have a long-term effect. It will have a long-term effect. Um, and that's very, very stressful. That has been stressful. And it's definitely had a mental toll on me as well. Because uh, after Aaron, I know I've been very open about this, I was extremely mm-hmm. unwell mentally after Aaron. I was admitted to a psychiatric unit for a number of months. And... Um, and I'm very, very aware of that this time. And I can see how people go down this route. Um, 
but trying to run businesses, trying to work and trying to, as you say, look after a toddler and trying to be there for everyone. And, and I'm going to say straight out, it, it has been at the cost of female friendships as well, which I, and I know sometimes you ever notice that when you're going through kind of like hard times, um, you really find out the people who are there for you. And you really find out the people who aren't as well. I had to explain myself so much to people. Yeah. Um, I've, I've actually found that part one of the hardest parts. Mm-hmm. I found that very, very hard that I've tried to justify and explain myself to people because I'm such a yes person. I'm such a, you're the exact same, Ashley. Like you're, you're, a, you're a go, you're a go-getter, you're a doer. And when you get to the point of where you have to start saying, I, I can't, I physically can't, I cannot get out of the bed. Um, people stop understanding. I found that very hard to deal with. Yeah, yeah. I found that extremely because hard if, to deal if, with. If that's what you're, if that's what people are used to from you, if you stop being able to do what you could normally do, mm. obviously. But it, you're right, though. It does kind of show you who's there and who's not, and who's there for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you do really have to prioritize. I suppose it's the same after you become a parent. Um, you do like your time is not what it used to be, and you really do have to kind of prioritize your time and uh, other people have to be more understanding of, you know, mm. your time and that kind of thing. Like I, I, I've always tried, even though, you know, before I had children, I always tried to be very, very mindful of any friends or family members who had children, how kind of how their time wasn't their own. I had a, an understanding mm. of it, even though I hadn't got a child. So I think, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. It does. It, 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 this is, this is the thing. Pregnancy for some women myself and yourself included comes at such a cost and it's just huge it, it's never it's not ne- that's never really talked about um or certainly not as much as no. I think it should be it's definitely definitely not talked about absolutely mm. I and, and it's something that I haven't even you're probably the first person that I've spoken about that's the cost of this pregnancy kind of like I'm talking like financially and mentally and the toll of it mm-hmm. um and it's something that now that I'm not so sick, like in the last two weeks, lol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that I'm not so sick, it has. I have kind of, like, I'm towards the end. I have kind of like been taking that in and really kind of like literally looking back at that. There's some yeah. good parts to that as well, obviously. Um, but like there, the, it's a very upsetting time of your life as well because hormonally you're all over the place as well. Oh my gosh, like, completely. I'm not a crier. Oh my God, I've been the biggest crier. Me neither. No. I'm yeah, not yeah. a crier yeah. and I'm like, I can't cope with the amount I cry now. No. I've, I've become accustomed to crying mm-hmm. over anything. Mm-hmm. Eyeliner. <laughs> Other day. <laughs> anything. <laughs> Random. Locked it. Where is it? <laughs> this podcast is just one way that every mum supports you. Another amazing way is our free gift bag, packed full of essentials for you and baby, including free samples of water wipes, the number one baby wipe in Ireland. To receive yours, register now on everymum.ie. There's a free gift bag there waiting for every mum. So, I mean, the cost of the pregnancy um, in terms of friendship, in terms of, you know, your your business, um, in terms of your mental health, in terms of your physical health, this is what I want to chat about. There's another cost involved, and that is the cost of medication for severe sickness in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Caraban, for anyone who's not familiar, Caraban is a drug that um, is available on prescription for pregnant people who are experiencing debilitating sickness uh, during mm-hmm. pregnancy. 
I took mine, like I said, three times a day, every day for seven, eight months. Um, I know you're on it as well, but there's a lot of, there, there can be a lot of difficulty around getting it and having mm-hmm. it prescribed. So you've been incredibly active online about the whole carbon, you know, it's basically a scandal, really, I think. Um, it is, when you look back to me, when you, when you look at it, it, it is like, and, and I was, I was thinking the other day, I mean, I spent thousands on that during pregnancy and thankfully I'm in a very privileged position where I was able to spend thousands, but I, I certainly know many people that are not in a position to financially be able to support the cost of that drug through pregnancy. So talk to me about how this all came about for you and what you've done and kind of why you feel so strongly about it. Because I have to say, I really admire the the passion that you have for it because I feel like when I finished being pregnant, I knew something had to be done. I knew I had it in my head. I was like, God, that caravan thing is a complete mess and it's so inaccessible to so many but I was just so exhausted that I couldn't do it so I really really admire your energy uh about that whole issue so talk to you about how it started for you well first of all I think the energy comes from a place of where I hate people being wronged whether you're a man or a woman Mm -hmm. in general it's something that I absolutely can't stand and you're right when you're talking about, you know, being privileged. I myself was able yeah. to afford private health care. I have um, a consultant obstetrician. I have been so lucky to be able to meet every month. And should I need to, I could pick up the phone and meet him at any other stage if I wanted to. Carbon, for me, is a very privileged medication. It's definitely a privileged medication that's there for the women that can afford it. And I think the reason why it came to light to me that it was just so unfair was because at the time when I actually needed to have carbon, it was going through a big, big change and a lot of things. So even though that the, the laws are quite a little bit different about it now, I feel like I have to kind of explain from that point of when I was sick. Yeah, absolutely. So I remember just as I was, um, when I was pregnant, my friend Sandra was pregnant as well. And she was quite sick and needed carbon. And I thought this was absolutely amazing that she needed it. And when I found myself very sick at week seven, um, I turned to her and I said, like, what was that medication that you said that you were on? And she said, go to Dan. We both had the same consultant and have a chat with him. And I did. I went to my consultant and um, had a chat with him. And he said, I can give you, prescribe you a drug called carbon. Um, and it is quite pricey now but it will help with the nausea and the sickness. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget going down to the chemist and standing there and the pharmacist, the assistant that was there, pharmacy assistant, apologised to me mm-hmm. as she was going. She goes, it's very pricey now. And I went, okay, no bother. Thinking the most it would be was 30, 40 euros mm-hmm. for, yeah. the, for the prescription. And it actually turned out to be over 200 euros. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I did, I got a shock. I got a big shock. Because as far as I was aware, in maternity, you receive free healthcare in this country, no matter what your what, what way you were, were you working, unemployed, mm-hmm. um, self-employed, whatever, it wouldn't matter what your status was. I paid for it. I had no option. I was feeling like death. And actually, subsequently, I, I say about a week later, I ended up actually being admitted to CUMH or a maternity hospital and put on a drip. I was very, very sick. Um, which that has continued throughout. So throughout this time, I was I was on carbon, and as I'm online as well, I spoke quite openly about it. 
And all of a sudden, these women started messaging me and saying, it's so expensive. Then I started getting messages from women who were saying that, oh, we're lucky. It's going to be free in January. It's going to be free in January and we're going to be able to have it because the government are more going making an announcement. And I thought, well, this isn't this isn't bad. And this is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Roll on to January anyway. Stephen Donnelly announces that there is some changes on what they are now going to do because previously this drug is unlicensed. Carbon is unlicensed and it could not be gotten on the drugs payment scheme. It couldn't also not got on... Okay. Um, and is that because it's different... unlicensed? So at the time, the mm. reason that the HSE were giving for the drug being unlicensed was because the ingredients that were in it were basically um, food supplements. And that okay. it was a high dose of, bit of vitamin B12 and some antihistamines. And that was basically the, the main ingredients, the makeup of this drug chemically. And okay. that the drug was down with the HSE as a food supplement. Now, what we need to remember as well is at the time that the Irish government were treating it VAT-related as a medicinal product. Ah, double standards. Double standards, absolutely. And of course, when this came to light, the HSE weren't willing to give an answer or a statement Mm. regarding this. And And you pressed them a lot. I I know you did. Oh, uh, I did. So, so much. So, so much about this. It it started to see that there there was discrepancy kind of within the way that things were run. Mm -hmm. And then just on top of this, then what was even more annoying was that each side seemed to be blaming each other. So roll on anyway in January. And they decided to say that this drug could indeed be on the drugs payment scheme. But the only way of actually obtaining it, because it's an unlicensed product, was by going through a consultant obstetrician where you have to get them to fill out a form, a manual form, which then this form has to be uploaded to the HSE and you have to wait to find out if there's going to be a reimbursement to you. This lasts for three months and then you have to reapply again. Now, as I said, you and I, very privileged women in a position where we have private healthcare. And if you are not, and you're in the public system, most women, most women, never, ever get to see their consultant. And mm-hmm. majority of them are well into their second trimester. So what you're talking nearly up to 15 week pregnancy before that you're ever going to see your, an, any form of a consultant obstetrician. And we're not mm-hmm. talking just regular obstetrician. Has to be consultant. Consultant, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and f- the, I didn't know that about it only lasting three months. So if you eventually, so say, say for instance, you are really, really ill, you are in the public or semi private system and you eventually see a consultant and they give you the prescription that only lasts three months three Pregnancy months lasts. and the form has to be refilled yeah out that's, again. that's ridiculous like surely well, if you it, get it once it, well what what makes it so ridiculous actually mm. is the fact that this is a drug that has been on the market in ireland for nearly 20 years Now, it's not obviously most drugs are kind of given out for a number of different illnesses and conditions. And this is a drug, an anti-sickness, anti-nausea drug, which has been given for cancer patients. It's safe to take worldwide, right? It's something that there is no issues with whatsoever. In fact, the ingredients, doxylamine and peridioxine, is in three different products. There is Navalem, Zanave, and there's, what is it, Exilis. They're three different types of medications which are identical to carbon in their chemical makeup. 
Okay. Which are, are licensed in this country. But the okay. government have not obtained um, a pricing from these companies. They continue to go down the route. Stephen Dolly has continued to go down, down the route of saying that carbon is not licensed and he continues and continues and continues. And it's, it's, it's very, very annoying. It's annoying for a number of reasons. Number one, and I'm going to use this as an example, there is no issue with making certain drugs licensed, such as the COVID vaccine which was mm-hmm. passed through and coded immediately. I've spoken to a number of pharmacists um, who have said there is no issue. Medications can be coded as and when needed. Mm-hmm. And to say that a drug like this that has been prescribed by consultants and by doctors for a long, long, long time, to say that that is not, you're basically sending out the message that this isn't safe. Then on top of it, there are over 10 medications at the moment currently that are available in the DPS, the drugs payment scheme, which have which are unlicensed and GPs are allowed to write prescriptions for these drugs. Some of them being progesterone um, based medications, which are prescribed for many things, including male enhancement. You can get Viagra free on the um, drugs payment scheme. You can get it um, with a medical card. And then there's a number of medications which are used to suppress male urges. Um, that are also unlicensed, which can be prescribed by a GP. And you don't need to go through a consultant. And the issue now is that GPs aren't actually allowed to prescribe. Well, they are, pardon me, GPs are allowed to prescribe caravan, but we have to pay the full price. So you're paying Mm -hmm. your 200 euros or whatever it is. Again, I was on four tablets a day and Mm -hmm. and that's what you're paying. That's that's Um, about, just to to put it in context for people, it was about 200 quid a month, as far as I remember. That's... That yeah. was the cost for that's, me. So that's, and, yeah. and the thing is, the, what we must remember as well mm-hmm. is that many, many women, and I will tell you some stories now in a second, many, many women cannot afford to pay for the monthly prescription. So they end up paying for a weekly prescription or a fortnightly prescription, which costs far more. It ends up Because there is more, an yeah, extra, yeah. extra cost yeah. at dispensing this Dispense, medication yeah, then yeah, for yeah. women. So you're talking about like that. That's a ridiculous amount of money to be paying out it's it's actually a scary amount and then you're talking about let's just talk about asking yourself for a second right okay where you were unfortunate enough to not only need your carbon right up to the day that you gave birth to your daughter but you also had gestational diabetes mm-hmm. and these are all drugs and there's certain parts of elements of this medication and treatment that you're being charged for because mm-hmm. they are not covered under maternity in Ireland which downs me absolutely Mm -hmm. astounds me in general and it is definitely a sex-based a gender-based problem that we have in this country and and what made me so angry about the whole lot is that I'm a problem solver no problems only solutions and it seemed very very like I like this drug should be free anyway full stop Mm -hmm. when we're pregnant because the way I view this is that each and every one of us is carrying a taxpayer when we are pregnant so what you and I give back to society and give back to this country is a lot more than any other human being is going to give back and when you think about the logic of this problem the logical explanation of this of of this issue the fact that you and I have been so sick that we've had to present ourselves to accident and emergency on different Mm -hmm. occasions to get treatment which has taken up bedrooms 
in mm-hmm. the bed and room inside in a hospital. Yeah. And not only that, but taking women out of the workforce, which loses a huge amount of money to businesses. But not only that, for women to have to then go away and apply for sickness, maternity benefit and, and come off, come out of the workplace early. It makes no sense. No. The worst part about the whole lot of it is the fact that I spoke out and I was ignored by Stephen Donnelly. And it wasn't just you, Sabrina, because you and you rallied people. You you, oh, you I got know, people I've together. Taken it personal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would I too. Took yeah. It very <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, like, even when it like, I don't understand at all at all when this is so easy to fix, and it is easy mm-hmm. to fix. It is mm-hmm. that simple. I've spoken to Laura Dowling. I have spoken to many pharmacists who will say straight out, this can be a non-issue. They're very very easily. The drugs can be coded. It can be given out. If you can go, I will be honest with you. My last prescription of medication, I got a prescription of my carbon. I didn't need the prescription because I knew someone that went to Spain and bought my full lot of my drugs for 45 euros. And I told my obstetrician this because you can buy this drug in Germany. You pay five euros under their maternity care. On the NHS in the UK, it is free. It works out for a month supply in Spain without prescription, 45 euros over the counter. And I'm sure in Australia, there's no charge for it either. And I cannot understand at all at all why we're having this conversation when a woman like me and a woman like you are that sick with this condition are a huge cost to the Mm -hmm. state. Well, this like the money is going somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Like if it's free on the NHS, the NHS is amazing. but if it's free on the NHS, I don't understand how we're still paying 200 plus euro per month for something because, like this. Because, and, and, and as the excuse that has been given time and time again, even up until, up, up until this day, it is a licensing issue. And if you ask, I have had a list of 34 TDs and a, a number of other senators that we have, um, and representatives that we have contacted with a letter that has gone through and every single one of them have sent me back the exact same, the exact same message and the message that came from Stephen Donnelly saying that it is a licensing issue and we will look into it. I just, I can't, I can't get my head around it. And I have to say, I never, do you know the way growing up, like I had a a very, I'm sorry, I had, I have very supportive parents and my dad in particular always told me growing up as a as an Irish woman, you know, and I'm very grateful for every privilege I've had in my life. But he always said to me, you can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Nothing will ever hold you back, et cetera, et cetera. And I have to say, I'm very grateful for this, but I never felt more like a second class citizen than I did when I got pregnant having gone through my life and not really ever felt held back by anything. You know, I felt like if I put my mind to something, I could, I could pretty much do what I wanted. And, and if I worked hard enough or whatever, but when I got pregnant, that just went away. I just felt like the, whatever it was at at the time, I was just feeling like people, Irish, the Irish system, whether that's government or, or the health system or what it is, it just doesn't care about pregnant people. No. And it, and, and it to feel very unheard 
is very upsetting. And there has been times that I have cried as hard, equally as hard as when I have been over the hyperemesis. I've cried mm-hmm. out of frustration of being in the mm-hmm. situation that we're in. And there has many times that I have spoken online and have had women tell me horrendous stories. Some of them fishing into the toilet full of vomit to take a tablet out that they just took a few minutes beforehand because they couldn't afford to buy any more medication. The women that cried at the counter in a pharmacy because they had to choose between feeding their children that week or taking medication. And the amount of, of people that were very, very embarrassed because they had to take money from family members, their brother or their sister or their parents just so they could survive and and actually pay for medication that was going to help them get up and go to work. Like, it's not that, like, and you and I will both know, right, I've continuously taken carbon throughout my pregnancy and I've still been unbelievably sick and I've had to have been mm-hmm. admitted yeah. to hospital. This isn't a miracle drug as in that it stops the illness. This is a drug that actually enables us to get up and live life Mm-hmm. And and try and get to work and, and and try and kind of like live some little bit normally. Mm-hmm. Like if I didn't have this medication, I literally wouldn't be able to do anything. I wouldn't be able to function. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't be yeah. able to function. Yeah. And I would probably be even more unwell. And I also think I've kind of, I, I thought about this again during my pregnancy. I, I remember thinking, I wonder if more of like the likes of Stephen Donnelly, if more TDs, um, if more of the people that work in, in in and around government, if they were maybe like of childbearing age and if they were if there were more female representatives, would this be as big of an issue? Do you know what I mean? Like Holly Cairns, yeah. for instance, you know, Holly people Cairns, like her. Jennifer Whitmore and actually yeah. a lot of huge amount of the male senators. Gareth, I can't think of a surname. Christopher Sullivan's a TD as well. Um, yeah, I I be honest with you, and I and I haven't really said this out loud so much because there's been other parts but where Stephen Donnelly has made comments off floor that I'm not going to ever repeat, and they were highly disrespectful. Um, and 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 so not understanding of the situation, and I just think the fact that he hasn't come out and tried to sort something like this, and sort out things such as the issue with the um, <laughs> smears, mm. poverty when it comes to period poverty, things when it comes to kind of like HRT. I just think in general, the state owes so much to women and this women like Holly Cairns and Jennifer Whitmore and other men. Actually, I'm going to be quite honest with you. The people who reached out back to me the quickest, the most, and offered to do so much were nearly all men. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, and it, it was very interesting because there were some very, there was a lot of women who I would have held in very high esteem and who would be very much for women and talk about women that didn't even answer my emails. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So, oh, I thought it was very interesting. And I think it would mm-hmm. very much, I never thought this, but it would definitely dictate what I tick the next time because I'm, I am definitely a voter and it would, it would oh, dictate yeah. an awful yeah, lot, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of these things. Because remember like we're do, we're not only doing this there is this whole thing that with, with, with high premises in the country and a lot of it and a lot of why the companies won't actually license the products in the country you know there is three of them that are licensed the carbon's main thing is that 
there is between one and two percent of women affected by hyperemesis. But what we must remember is that that's one to two percent, which is I don't believe that to be true. It's a lot more than that. I do, but that's yeah, one yeah. to two percent in nine months. And then the next nine months and then the next nine months. And what about the multiple times that women suffer? And what about you? You? What about your mother? What about you? What about sometimes maybe in the future, your daughter? What about like this that we're carrying on and the message that we're actually giving to women in this country that we are second class citizens, mm-hmm. that we are not entitled to the proper health care? I fully believe that we were going to get like medical care. We were a priority through mm-hmm. our maternity and as you and I have both said that we're both very very privileged to be able to pay for it it still goes to prove that no matter where you are that we are being looked down upon and we are not being treated respectfully considering mm-hmm. everything that's happened in the country yeah through the years I just I think there's an element as well of like this is why I think what you're doing is is great because you're still pregnant. I mean, you have a lot going on. You're ill, you're pregnant, you're running businesses, you're trying to, you know, just exist, get through the days. And yet you're, you've taken this on as, as a bit of a cause and you're, you know, trying your best and you're talking to DDs and you're I don't know how to... more I can do though. I've tried this is the thing. And, and what I'm like, sometimes I think when we're, you know, when women are at this stage of our lives, when we're in the kind of raising children, stage by the time we age out of the issues that we're facing so by the time we get through the child rearing years and we're out the other end we're tired we're you know we're just like oh I can't go back there and think about crash fees and I can't go back and be an activist about crash fees because I'm past that now and something else is relevant to me now not that we don't want to but what's relevant, Ashley, is the fact that when we finish that, we will end up being inside the HRT scandal. This is what I mean. And it's, but then you age out of that as well. You know, it's like when, by the time you've gotten through the HRT uh, stage of your life, you're tired. You're like, I've been through menopause. I'm absolutely exhausted. My body has gone through yet another hormonal upheaval. Like, I mean, when I tell you, you know, and any woman who's listening to this will know how I mean, dramatically ruled by hormones. We are from from puberty all the way through our lives, all the way through at every stage. Hormones are wreaking havoc, and we're just expected to smile and and you know keep keep moving through our lives as if as if nothing is wrong. But again, I think there is a problem with women aging out of an issue and therefore not wanting to go back and revisit that. So, say for instance, with the crash fees issue. Once you're finished with dealing with crash and dealing with all those things and your children are moving on through through school and you're finished with childcare, you're like, oh, I can't face that again. So therefore, the next round of women that are going through that face the same issues and it just happens again and again. And that seems to be what's kind of going, like you said, another nine months of one to two percent of people have an hyperemesis and mm. another nine months and another nine months and another nine months. And it just seems to go on and on and on. So that's why I think what you're doing is is so great can you tell me if there's anything that people listening to this either whether you've whether you've had hyperemesis or you haven't if you have a minute is there anything that people can be doing to move this along to push someone to tweet someone anything like that honest to god i don't know and i say that because 
I have pushed so much. I've been on TV3 in the morning show. I've been on Joe Duffy. I have ranted and raved here. I've had a post on my Instagram that's gone viral. I have contacted every TD I've contacted and countless times. Hyper Emesis Ireland, by the way, a big mention to them and to Laura Dowling, fabulous pharmacist, have done amazing work with regards Mm -hmm. to this. And like, I can't think of anything else that people can do at the moment. Because even now, if we write the TDs, the right one, you're going to get the same answer because they don't have an answer from Stephen Donnelly because it's Stephen Donnelly that has to make the decision and his Mm -hmm. clinicians are the ones. Uh, High Pharmacists Ireland at the moment, they're dealing with Jennifer Whitmore, who has very successfully gone and kind of tried to change up things in the Doyle. And I think the next phase is that they're really, really trying to push to either get the other drugs um, a pricing for them or trying to get the drugs somehow like just to, to be put on the drugs payment scheme through GPs and, and leave GPs. It's not good enough. Any of it's not good enough. I'm exhausted from it. Like you just said, I am exhausted from it. I get very emotional when I speak about it because I get frustrated. I don't ever want to leave it because if I ever decided to have another baby, I know that I'm going to be in the same position and that scares the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of what else to do, actually. And that's the honest truth. And I'm a Which no is problem such a, solutions yeah. girl. And so that actually kills me. Kills mm. me. Yeah, it, it, it kills me as well that it, I just I just can't wrap my head around it. I just can't. Um, and there seems to be no logic. Like there's no, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. No, no. Like a mile. It's logical to me what to do. Um, it's if there's only one to two percent, then why actually aren't giving it out? Yeah. So why aren't yeah. you actually giving out to the one to two percent and then allowing them to have it? Because there's a lot more than that on it. I know loads of women that are on it. Mm-hmm. I actually do too. Anecdotally, there's there's been plenty of people that I know who've had it, you know, had to take it when pregnant. For even, you know, there's some people who who have kind of what what you might think of as typical morning sickness. Although there is no typical ah. pregnancy or typical, but you know, there are people who might have, have, to have for morning weeks. sickness until yeah, exactly. Um, my goodness. So I think I have one more question for you, and it's actually not related to carbon at all. Um, but I'd love oh. to know. Yeah, I know. I would love to know how you're feeling about being a parent again 21 years after you were a parent before. Like it's it's a completely new world in terms of what we know about sleep, what we know about feeding, what we know about, you know, the the science and the the data has moved on by 21 years. So how are you feeling about becoming a mother again for the second time soon? I feel very empowered because I'm sorry now, excuse my language. I don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) I have literally come to the point of where I'm 41 years of age, nearly 42. And I am just like, literally, I am so chilled. as like, the baby will get cuddled. The baby will get fed. The baby, it will be fine. It'll be grand. The only thing I kind of had a little bit about was, or worried about, was the feeding because okay. I'm formally feeding and right. I was kind of like I, I breastfed Aaron and, and it didn't work out and then I formally fed and I got so confused so there's so little information about formula feeding I'm going to do a little consultation with um a nursing a nurse um, um this Friday to get more information but other than that I am like literally 
I'm so chilled. I don't have my hospital bag packed. My oh, no. partner is literally having a banger. <laughs> I, I don't blame him. Like, I'm like, I really need to do that now because like, it's like the next, what, four weeks? Four weeks. Mm. And I have nothing. <laughs> do you know what though? I have to say, like, it, it being prepared okay there's one thing being prepared with things like your hospital bag which Sabrina I think you should go and do when we hang up this call frankly okay but <laughs> but I think as well like when I was uh when I was expecting Lydia I I remember my consultant saying to me first of all she asked me did I have a birth plan and I said my plan is to have a healthy baby and for me to be healthy after that like I do whatever you want I don't care where we are who we're doing it with just once the baby comes out and is healthy and once I leave healthily with the baby and she said that's great thanks and you know we we moved on from there but then she said to me what do you like um do you have plans for you know sleeping for feeding for whatever do you want to breastfeed do you not want to breastfeed and I remember just thinking God, I haven't made any of these decisions. All I want is a healthy baby. And I hadn't done much research. I hadn't done, and I'm such a planner. Like I'm, a, I'm quite a, like I'd be quite organized. And, See, I'm you know, the opposite I'd, to you now. I, like, but oh, I I'd would, just, like, I'd normally section, do that. Bottle feed, dummy. I am like literally controlled, controllables. I yeah. think, like I, I was admitted to psychiatric unit from being a person that had a plan, plan, in my head loosely which probably wasn't a good idea and then it didn't work out and then I got stressed and worried and it was terrible and it was everything now I'm like going we're going to control the controllables I don't plan I've already had my discussion with my doctor about taking carbon the morning of mm-hmm. the section that's happening yeah. I am 100% and I am not ashamed to say that I'm going for an elective cesarean because I have had migraine and hyperemesis throughout my entire pregnancy I for my mental health and for the baby's health and for me need to have some bit of control of this situation I'm 41 years of age I am bottle feeding formally feeding my child because that is what is best for my mental health it's best for my family my baby and I'll be trying to keep the dummy in the baby's mouth because my son didn't (laughs) and I'm like (laughs) literally I'm going to be these are just things that give me comfort they give me comfort and if the yeah. baby cries, I'll just bring the baby into the bed and cuddle it with me. I thought you were going to say, I'll just bring the baby back. <laughs> no, well, we did have a conversation where we might go to the clinic and look for a refund if it doesn't come with a remote control. <laughs> yeah. This isn't working out like we thought it would, guys. Can we? Yeah, yeah no, um, this is what I asked for. <laughs> and have you had, I, uh, have you had any backlash, I suppose would be the word, about your choice to formula feed? Zero. <gasps> zero and I have been told by so many people yeah don't talk about it online mm. I have friends on the online world who I had this discussion about and they said, oh don't discuss it and I'm like why why won't we discuss it why won't... this is the problem with women you fear other women and you, you have this thing of being judged Listen, I've had enough conversations. I've had women who have told me that they have had women in front of them saying, are you going to stop the breastfeeding? When are you going to give it a bottle? And then equally, we have had other women who've said they're embarrassed because someone came up to them and said, I hope it's breast milk inside in that bottle. Mm. I'm like, who the hell are we to be commenting on any woman and the, and the way that she chooses to feed 
her child in this setting. Yeah. The only yeah. person that should be commenting is a medical practitioner mm-hmm. who has the best interests of the mother and the child. Yeah. Simple as. No yeah. one else should be commenting. Not even a mother or a mother-in-law or even a sister or even a friend. That is a decision. We fought so much for women to have a right over their bodies, for women to have right over their reproductive systems. And yet we are in a place where women are still dictating and having opinions on how we actually physically care for our children. It's disgraceful. So it's something that I have no fear. I'm choosing to formula feed because that's what's best for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I have no problem. And I said it online and I'm like, yeah. literally, I can't believe that's, that's a whole other podcast. That's yeah, a, that's that, a yeah, it is a whole other podcast. Well, maybe, maybe when um when your little Baba arrives, we'll have you back and we'll I'm talk more about bottle. it. Yeah, you'll be there Absolutely. with your bottle. I'd and like, listen, to. they're they're really quiet for the first few months, as you know. So <laughs> it'll be fine. Absolutely. We can do it. I have no problem. Um, we make ten because <laughs> that is. To be fair, that actually is a really it's a really interesting topic. And my experience with it, um, with breastfeeding was I tried to, I wanted to. And and medically and physically, I couldn't. And the guilt, disappointment, embarrassment almost. And then I, when I, you know, made peace with the fact myself that I was going to be formula feeding, I did get some some criticism um, from, it was online mostly. Yeah. And not to mind, I would also like to say that when you do make that decision, mm. there's no information. Very There's little, no support. yeah, that's true. Very little. Yeah. And and that's something that I've tried to find out and I've had and why I spoke out online about it is that I'm I'm all for, I'm not anti-breastfeeding. I've had women who've said, oh, you're anti-breastfeeding. I'm like, good, no, absolutely No, not. absolutely not. I'm, I'm pro whatever you want to do for you. Yeah. However, when I did try and go find out any information, there's nothing to zero yeah. there's there's nothing yeah. and the only info a lot of the places where you can get your information is the helpline that's on the back of the box of the, of the yeah which which is going to be biased be. yeah 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 that's exactly. going to be biased inherently biased information yeah yeah a situation but my fear is the poor women who go into hospital that do like themselves really want to breastfeed and it was so amazing that they want mm-hmm. to do that and then find they come out of hospital they struggle it's not mm-hmm. working for many different reasons mentally physically whatever it is um, and then they don't get the support, yeah. whether it be from their public health representative nurse um, or or just anywhere of getting it. So mm-hmm. that's why as well, I'm doing this course on Friday because I'm, I'm really, really interested because I do want to speak more online about that because I think it's fair that we talk, we communicate. So important. Yeah, so important. Sabrina Hill, I really appreciate you coming on and chatting with about all the things that we've covered today. And I really do hope that when baby comes along and you're formula feeding away, that we'll have another chat about that because it really Absolutely. is such an interesting topic. Um, and yeah, I hope that the caravan issue gets sorted soon, some way or other, um, because it really is unfair to say the least for Irish women to be going through what they're going through in pregnancy and not have that support there. So again, thank you so much, Sabrina, and I'll talk to you soon. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks a million. Thank you so much for listening and to Water Wipes, the number one baby wipe in Ireland for their support. Their wipes are made with simply two ingredients, 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. And they are also plant-based and plastic-free. 
If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, rate or leave a review. You can share this episode across social if you like and you can get in touch with the guest on social media and their handles will be in the show notes. 